I just wait. I mean, as a white dude, I just waited for someone to come to me and say, hey, do you want to do this? Right? That's how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I know. It's bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica, and Amy and Aaron continue to abandon me. But this week, we have a guest host for you. Welcome, David Muscrop. Hello. Did I say that right? Because yeah, I'm like looking good. in the air like right. I'm waiting for you to be like, no. <laughs> I had a little bit of flair, which I like. Thank you. So no, it's I good. Try. It's very good. I've heard, I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. I've heard far worse. <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just from the people who like me. Like just <laughs> awful things. So David, this is the first time I'm meeting you. I know you from Twitter. Mm-hmm. I I saw your somebody retweeted you and then I went to your like timeline like this uh-huh. happened and I was like this guy's funny like and oh he's on the right side of left like oh, yeah. like the correct side yeah. is my point not right as in directional but anyway um so I was like follow <laughs> and I f- I would imagine I followed you did back follow me back yeah. and and so it is it is a pleasure to meet you in person. It's very nice to meet you. Because I do like your commentary. I think you're like pretty sharp. Thank you very much. So <laughs> uh. we have a peanut gallery here, you, uh, yeah. everybody. Who so. disagrees. Who disagrees <laughs> and fine. is having too much fun in the background. If, hey, look, if, if any given room, half of the people like me, it's a good day. I just, right? I just walk into a room assuming that I have offended somebody yeah. and then I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes. It, uh, so, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm headed to a dinner soon. Uh, uh, this writer's gala that I'm very excited for. It's a great event, uh, but you get seated with a politician, which is great. But I had this thought as soon as I got invited was, Oh geez, please don't let it be someone I shit talk the week before. Yeah. Like two weeks is fine, but yeah. a week you, yeah. you gotta like, because I mean, it's, it's my job to criticize people publicly. And I feel like found, the same. I, it's weird because I felt, yeah, but it's true. But I found this town's pretty good at at accepting it. I mean, like, yeah, it's your job, and it's my job too. You know. I don't really get into too. I don't really get into too many problems. This is just that one time, and I'm like, <laughs> of course, there's going to be a one time yeah. or two times or whatever. I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm very comfortable with um, my tweeting, to be honest. Yeah. I know that some people might find it a bit abrasive, but that's because you come at me hot. Yeah, I like it. If thank you, if you come at me in a way where where we have a discussion, we'll have a discussion. Yeah, but you know, don't be an asshole. Do no harm. Take take no. Shit. no- <laughs> that's exactly that's it. Yeah. that's exactly it. That's a sticker, by the way, on a, on a laptop here, which is yeah. for context. Yeah, yeah, and it makes complete sense. Yep. Actually, could be a title. I'm just saying. Anyway, so um, David was kind enough to bring coffee. Yay. So when, (laughs) this is funny, y'all. So when ordering the coffee, when ordering the coffee, Erin was like, she asked me, she's like, hey, Erin's here, you guys. Hey, but not on the mic. Anyway, hey, um, do you 
want like a Halle Berry coffee. And I was just like, no, I kind of want a Rihanna. So I consider Rihanna lighter skin than Halle Berry. I'm just saying. And Rihanna out of Barbados, Rihanna. Like, you know, Rihanna in American winter Rihanna, you know. And so that wasn't specified, by the way, in my defense. I just want to fair. You brought me more of a. Oh, what should I call this? It's not a Beyonce. It's more like. um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting. I've got names in my head, but just will never in a million years say them. I just wanted that on the record. Okay. I mean, oh, Janet. A Janet, like sort of light skin, but medium skin. Yeah, because it would be it would be darker than an LL Cool J. <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> and so so we were having this discussion. And I was like, "This is this is not Rihanna," and you were saying that it looked more like an Eric Bana. <laughs> and what I found really interesting, the whole point of this, people, is don't try this at home. Or in public. Um, what was really interesting is how we view what's what's fair mm-hmm. and what's not coming from our respective sort of sides. Mm-hmm. And how and I, I I just find this very interesting because when my when we were in Atlanta visiting my family, my cousins and my aunts and stuff, um my 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 cousin called my mom light skin, but she's not hmm. to us. But there, where there are a lot of light skin people, for some reason, huh. she could pass the paper bag test, I guess. No, this is a thing. Like like the paper do you know about the paper bag no. test? Oh I'm my very gosh. Okay, now. okay. So in the old days, not so old, um, this is this is a very black American thing. Mm-hmm. Um in some places, you wouldn't be allowed into clubs and, and actual, like, structures if you were darker than a paper bag. Really? Yeah. It's colorism to the hilt. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The paper bag test. Wow. Yeah. I know. I just blew your mind. A little bit. Oh, okay. A, a little bit. This I, is going to be I'm, awesome. I'm shocked but not surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Colorism is, is a huge thing. It's it's that dirty little secret of of white supremacy mm-hmm, within right. cultures that and it's not just, you know, black people, Indians have the same thing and and Asians and and basically everybody who has dark skinned people around have the same thing. The closer you are to white and remember oh, we were having that discussion about power before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that meant that you had this implied power mm-hmm. and apply and implied power means implied authority Mm -hmm. and so if you look at a lot of the black people who were able to sort of make it in jim crow south or or um before the civil rights movement they're mostly light-skinned is that uh so i lived in korea taught english there years ago and it was like that in korea Mm -hmm. it was you know to the point where they would skin bleach and this was a thing yeah and my students would say to me oh no no they're 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 the wrong shade of x y or z yeah this was but it wasn't even a hidden thing and it was it was very open in korea this was discussed and it was an ideal and people would pay for it i remember Mm -hmm. thinking it never crossed my mind as a white person right until people would say to me like this is what we strive for yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole thing is like L'Oreal, the the, mm-hmm. the cosmetics company makes a whole ton of money off skin bleaching products in right. Asia. Right. So and Southeast Asia and you know South Asia and so on. But anyway, um, let's get into it though. All right, let's do it. Uh, because yeah, I'm being timed. Uh, <laughs> Next up, we're talking Democratic primaries, which is well underway, with yet another white male throwing his hat into the ring over the weekend. These men are not only leading in the polls, they're also dominating the headlines. A recent analysis from 538 found that both Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg have been dominating the national media as of late, and that mentions of male candidates have been consistently higher than women, even as Kamala Harris's fundraising and poll numbers are nearly on par with her male rivals. Further, a recent study by StoryBench found that, surprise, surprise, women on the campaign trail are receiving disproportionately negative media coverage. Valerie Sperling a professor of political science at Clark University's what political scientist <laughs> and an expert on gender politics sees this as putting female politicians in a difficult spot. Women in our society are supposed to be pleasing, kind, and somewhat deferential. So a woman who comes across as decisive and tough may also be frowned upon for being quote nasty or shrill for ostensibly violating feminine stereotypes of likability, unquote. These ideas of likability and electability have been dominating the discussion for Democrats as they seek to find a candidate who can defeat Donald Trump in 2020. So this like Mm -hmm. flows from our Alberta conversation. And um, so off air, I was asking you about if you follow like media sort of analysis and so on and so forth. And so I feel like we should start there. And especially when it comes to the impressions, the impressions are truly driven by media coverage. And um, so replies Mm -hmm. to stories, retweets of stories, likes of stories, all of those matter. And it also depends on who you're writing about. So if you're writing about more, you know how much I've seen about this Mayor Pete? Like, like he's everybody's great white hope. And I was just like, um, he just got here. Yet Julian Castro, I don't hear anything about. And nobody writes about him Mm -hmm. either as a man of color. So, and going back to women, you're right. Like Kamala Harris has raised a shitload. Her town halls have been overprescribed and yet um we see more effort to digging up controversy Mm -hmm. around her and i'm not saying like we're gonna go through the controversy at some point in the future on this podcast but for right now we're just talking about the way their women are portrayed Mm -hmm. i saw a story about um gillibrand's handling of her her staff Mm -hmm. As almost as soon as she announced. Yeah. And this guy, Mayor Pete, is like, oh my God, he's like everything, everything, until somebody finds something. I think he had an All Lives Matter moment, um, which is unimpressive to black people, very unimpressive. 
we judge. And, um, but even that's been papered over. And I just wonder, I really do, <laughs> I really do wonder how much of the, the structural biases that you mm-hmm. were talking about, that implicit bias is driven by the media structure too. There's a t- I mean, so I, I recently finished a book about uh, how we make political decisions. What's your and book called? It's called Too Dumb for Democracy? Question mark. And why tell us about this book. Well, so it's, it's, it was an assessment of why we make bad political decisions and how we can make better ones. But a huge part of it was media effects, uh, priming, agenda setting, and framing. Basically, the media decides effectively what you think about how you think about it and what counts as important and, and, right right so you know and, and they're dri- driven themselves by plenty of biases including things like who counts as competent who counts as as energetic and exciting and, and electable etc 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 so the, the primaries are interesting to me because you've got more women running for the democrats than ever i mean you've got warren and gillibrand and klobuchar um kamala harris uh, and there's a few others who might um, who might declare who haven't declared yet. So you've got a number of, of qualified and interesting women, but like you said, the coverage is disproportionately Beto, uh, Mayor Pete, and and who Bernie says Sanders. nothing by yeah, the no, way. No, he's he's a complete he's a blank canvas. Like onto the which, man is vapid. He's no, he's a blank canvas onto which everyone uh, is projecting their hopes and dreams and nightmares. So <laughs> yeah, but so absolutely. So. You know, the question is: Will the media become self-aware enough to adjust? And and the, the, there was the same problem with Hillary Clinton's emails during the election. Yeah, and Nate Silver took a run at that too and said the disproportionate coverage of those emails had an effect on the campaign. Of course, might it have did. actually been decisive. It, I believe it was yeah. decisive. So the media has to become self-conscious, and they have to say they have to sit down and think of this: Are we disproportionately featuring X, Y, or Z? These male candidates, which they are. And then need to adjust. And that, I mean, that's the hope because otherwise, where does the coverage come from? Yeah. And um, the thing about it, too, is that, you know, the whole idea of bias. Yes. Data is bi- is unbiased. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But the way we display it, what mm-hmm. we how what we choose, how the media chooses what goes on, quote unquote, the front page mm-hmm. Um, what gets bigger lettering, what gets a, which story gets even pictures to draw your eye, mm-hmm. how much space is taking, all those are decisions mm-hmm. and they're made by people who are, who have grown up in that structure and have been successful in that structure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure how even, well, I know they're not self-aware, I I don't I would never I would never ascribe that to media. Um however, uh I th- I do think that the criticism that they get is warranted. Mm-hmm. And I do think that what has killed them is this this rush for both sidesism. Yeah. And um even that in itself is implicit is implicit bias. Because what you're saying when you say both sides is that these two things are equal in terms of their importance Mm -hmm. and their validity. And um, I don't think that media has grasped that. And and the danger is, is that they consistently are being used. And 
like being used. They don't control shit. Like, you know, speaking of that election, I mean, the amount of free advertising that Donald Trump got and why? Because I almost think that he said the most racially polarizing things to get that coverage because he knew that number one, he knew what, what, well, white people, some white people were feeling Mm -hmm. and not only white people, but there was just a general like economic malaise. Mm -hmm. Number one, number two is that he understands if there's anything this man understands, nothing else, it's media. Mm -hmm. And how to manipulate it. And what I'm what I'm seeing a lot of is that media is just being manipulated over and over and over. It's like Faith Goldie. Faith Goldie didn't run to become mayor. She ran for the coverage and to become legitimized, which is exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, the old there used to be a principle in media called the fairness doctrine. It was basically you needed to provide time for both sides. But back then, those sides were a little bit more distinguished and, and a little bit more clear. Now there are all kinds of sides and it seems to be the, and the fairness doctrine is long gone, went away with the, the advent of cable. And now it seems to be a scramble for attention. Mm-hmm. And so what gets attention now is whatever sets itself on fire. Mm-hmm. And so now the, the sort of the incentive is to set yourself on fire when you play it straight, like Clinton does, what happens? Yeah. You get, you get marginalized. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, but, but people also love a feel good story and they love vapid, um, you know, canvases onto which they can project themselves. And this mm-hmm. is why Beto does well. And this is why Mayor Pete does well. Um, and it's why Elizabeth Warren doesn't do as well. I mean, I, I happen to think Elizabeth Warren is probably the most substantive candidate. We've in, seen in, in ev- like, Almost, I I can't. I don't remember yes, a more substantive what, candidate. What, I don't think so. Whatever you think of of her foreign policy, I don't. I don't particularly like her on foreign policy. She's a bit a bit hawkish for me. But you know, whatever you think of her on that, she uh, has ideas. She's thought it through. She's got a coherent policy platform. You know, Bernie Sanders stands up fairly well to that. But I, I think she is is one of the most qualified and interesting candidates. I, I'm I trying agree to think with back you. since I don't even know what. Maybe Jimmy Carter, who I actually thought was was deeply impressive as well and yet where's the where's the coverage yeah where's the coverage because she doesn't stand up and say i believe in hopes and dreams and american flags and apple pies well that's what makes um alexandria casio cortez and talib and Mm -hmm. omar's just so fucking impressive Mm -hmm. is that is that they have at least she has the policy discussion at least to back it up but she's so good with media and with getting that attention that, um, you know, when it comes to playing it straight, I mean, basically all she has to do. And that's 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 the funny little silver lining about being a woman of color who's outspoken. Like you don't really have to do much to get the media coverage. Right. You just <laughs> you just have to open your mouth and say, yes, I think he's a racist. And then all of a sudden, ah! you know, and and that's very interesting to me. actually. I didn't even realize that until I said it. So think about that. Like the fact, like we're Elizabeth Warren, a woman of color. I mean, mean, if if she were a woman of color who knew how to use gifts and didn't mind dancing, I think she'd be unstoppable. Yeah. But I mean, this is one of the things about AOC. I mean, I I think on some policy issues, I I mean, I disagree. And I think 
I, I don't entirely think that she's um, as well. Is as defensible she's, as, as she's not an Elizabeth Warren. No, like, she's not. Like, that's like, right. That's what like, I'm trying to get. At. That's but what she I. Could be. I she's I also very young. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you know, she's I mean, still evolving. And under, yeah. yeah, and under a tremendous amount of pressure, and, and yeah. I think she's getting unreasonably and unfairly scrutinized in ways that young politicians who aren't her don't. So I think mm. that's a huge problem too. Incidentally, also I feel the same way about Jagmeet Singh. Um, who I think will get much better too. I, I certainly hope so. He's been impressive He's in, getting in, better. in in like maybe it's because I had just low expectations because of what we were talking about in the last segment. Mm-hmm. But I've been fairly impressed with him in um in Parliament. Oh yes, like he seems to be striking. I mean the note the note that he's striking is around the right note. I mean it'll get refined over time. But for somebody who this is his first, and I'm not saying that he didn't have any experience, no. but he was never a parliamentarian. Well, he was an M- he was an MLA for a while, but yeah. the problem is, is I don't think when he was in Ontario as an MLA, or an MPP, right? I'm so, so you notice I've become, it's an MPP in Ontario, provincial parliament. Um, there's all these times in British Columbia, and I've, I've that's forgotten. so funny because MLA sounded so like I'm like yeah he was, and I I was like well because Ontario is a member of provincial parliament, which is so pretentious. Just call it a member of the legislative assembly, like everyone else, for the love of God. Yeah, is I it mean, just in Ontario? It's MPP. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's. Anymore. Oh, I didn't even realize that yeah, distinction. Yeah, but yeah, MLA sounds totally yeah, fine. Yeah, the way to. Do- yeah, but, but okay. I mean, so I think I, I do think Singh and AOC they get held up to unreasonable standards that we don't you know we all know of sort of white men of the same age and, and, and pedigree who get a pass on things that that racialized and, and folks and women don't so that's a huge problem too but I I think there's a lot of of hope in the idea that the, you know these people are now in positions of power they're role models for other people they're all they're good they're going to get better and 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 so that's encouraging. Uh, what what, but I, I what what interests me the most about AOC is, is there's someone who has a policy mind, mm-hmm. who has a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. She's knocking more doors to go back to what we we're talking about with saying yep. than, than anyone. She's knocking every door in the country. Yeah, at some point she covered or she certainly covered um, her her district a few times over, and knows how to speak in GIF. She knows how to speak to a new generation. That's going to be profoundly powerful yeah. coming up because that is where people are. And I'm hoping that it'll also pull young people along in the way that Bill Clinton did and Barack Obama did, but for mm-hmm. the next generation. So mm-hmm. I do think there's a lot of hope there, especially if she gets you know really good on policy like Elizabeth Warren. I mean, mm-hmm. Imagine an AOC who had you know the policy chops of Elizabeth Warren and spoke in gift. I know. But seriously, I mean, that where, would be... Do we have a Canadian comparison? Well, we're ten years behind everything. So that's we might true because decade. we're just we're just going through our um, rightward spiral yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. And soon yeah. we'll get we'll get the Hugo Boss two thousand and nine collection soon. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, from I I don't know if we do. I mean that was so. One of the things I find interesting about Singh is uh, I do think he's unreasonably scrutinized. Yes. That said, he was billed by his campaign as someone who was different someone who was new and young and the answer to Trudeau and he designed his own Tom Ford suits and he was in GQ and he rode his bicycle and so on so they did set the expectations high mm. I mean in some sense they were hoisted on their own petard because they they set this up mm. and and he hasn't entirely lived up to it although I think maybe he might later I can't think of anyone outside of of him of him and, to, and the former Trudeau 
circa 2015, who has a bit of a Beto thing going on, <laughs> incidentally. Ooh, I like this comparison. Oh, yeah. Let's let's I, let's explore but that. I, I, I am writing I like about. It. There's a lot of about Justin Trudeau and those around him. I actually quite like, and I, I respect a lot of folks around him. But I wrote years ago now, 2014, 2015, about how he was Canada's Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know Reagan was a B movie actor mm-hmm. onto which people projected their hopes. Mm-hmm. And this morning in America, and yeah. now this was, you know, hope and change. Um, and, and that sort of, that lack of content allowed people, and the, but the tone of positivity allowed people to project things. And I think that was similar. And I think Beto's the same thing. I see. Uh, the problem is that eventually sours when people say, well, okay, now we where's the, the substance? <laughs> yeah. Or when, or when, and you do go we only shape. do that with white men that we only project those things politically, at least onto just politically I'm because to think i think of examples yeah. of, of of women or or or, or is or it that old adage where I you know you have to be twice as good to get half as much yeah i'm trying to think of examples i can't off the top of my head think of any examples of racialized folks or i mean to some extent perhaps obama who again ran on hope and change and then became subsumed by the system yeah and droned uh, children in Pakistan, right, and, uh, and didn't take on the banks sufficiently, right. Fought, spent all his political capital on <laughs> on what could be a short lived healthcare, you know, right. The, the Republicans have have dismantled. So perhaps to some extent, there was a little bit of that with Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. He again, I he's no Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who yeah. would have taken on those banks, or, yeah. or, or yeah. Bernie Sanders, who would have pushed. pushed I would, I would say that the um, the fact that the financial crisis happened um, and nobody went to jail mm-hmm. is exactly why we have this white rise of populism. Mm-hmm. I also think that austerity in the UK and especially austerity imposed not only by Cameron but the EU. Mm-hmm is also why is what caused Brexit. Yes. I don't think that these things are, even though they're relative about 10 years apart, that's exactly yes. the time frame where you see these things bubble up. And I, I, I do think that the idea that the system is not here for us mm-hmm. is exactly, exactly the mood that in all of those three countries that's what it is and i think a lot of it has to do with the financial crisis oh yes i mean there, there's a perception that i mean there's which is why you got austerity in britain and the eu by the way yeah, yeah. And there's a good there's a good critique of the eu from the left as well that says it's sort of technocratic not democratic it, it doesn't understand individual countries so there is a good pushback there but i think that there is a broader conception that the economy might be doing well Wealth might be increasing, but it's not distributed equitably, and people pick yeah. up on that, and they don't like it, yeah. and that's a huge problem. Um, now, of course, now I think that that activates and is buttressed by racial and gendered bias. I mean, I don't think saying, "Well, it's all the economy, and that's why people vote for racist." I'm like, no, people vote for racist because they're racist, um, but the economy um, certainly enables them and, and, and amplifies them in pretty significant ways. So, you know, that ends up being. Um, profoundly important and and then they have to think structurally rather than saying well it's x y or z it's like no it's a combination of all these forces mm-hmm. that's creating uh, significant democratic recessions and the rise of not just populism but authoritarian populism yes and all kinds of nasty nastiness as people say i'm pissed off about the economy i'm going to blame these folks yes right? yes and then that gets mainstreamed i don't 
now the question is how do you buy push back that against, same media buy that same media <laughs> yeah then the question is well how do you push back against that and and i think the, the ultimate answer is you double down on democracy you redistribute resources etc 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 because it you know i think democratic pluralism is good i want groups battling it out with each other but i want those resources to be distributed equitably so that everyone it's got a decent shot. Yeah. And I think that the, the question of remaking the economic and democratic world in the 21st century is a question of how do you redistribute power in ways that lets everybody have a shot and get a little bit of what they want. Right. Um, you know, and that's where we talk about universal programs, pharmacare, child care. Right. Um, a living wage. Et cetera, right. Et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, what I find interesting too is that, um, like Joe Biden is. Oh yeah, remember Joe Biden? Uh, uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I'm sure many women do. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I, yes, I can imagine. Yeah. So and uh, which I think is just the worst idea in the world. Yeah. Um, I really do think that this is the other thing is that people in power don't really know when their time's up, and they don't realize that the country has moved on yeah or the province or whatever whatever the jurisdiction is mm -hmm. and they just keep beating this like th isn't this is like his third or fourth time like why why joe why yeah he he's he came close in the 80s uh, <laughs> in the he, 80s. he was upended by a scandal in the 80s uh, plagiarism oh the plagiarism the scandal yeah, yeah. Joe Biden's uh, a plagiarist. These days, though, yeah. these days, that would be... Would, People would be like... Mm. Get away with, you know, he's he's committed far worse sins since then, and he'll get away with it. Yeah. Um, it shows you how the standards have changed. But I, I agree. I mean, I think... But here's the thing. This is... If if a patriot truly loves their country, and and, and Joe Biden claims to, to be a patriot and love his country, you've got to know when to get out of the way, which is the hardest thing to do. That This yeah. is how I judge someone's character, is, is do they know when to get out of the way? Yeah. I don't think Biden does. No. And uh, so that's too bad. Um, but but it's interesting is otherwise, you know, you, you might even be able to make the same case about Sanders. I, I don't know that, how to think about that. It, it, but there is a new generation of Democrats who are pushing back and doing things differently in agenda setting. Yes. And that becomes profoundly important is that, you know, now we can say to Joe Biden about Joe Biden, um, he's not talking Green New Deal. He's not talking universal Medicare. He he's of a different generation. So it's not just a different generation in terms of, of age. It's a different generation in terms of policy prescriptions. And this is where someone like AOC is profoundly important because whatever else she does, she has put the Green New Deal on, on the, the agenda. table. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now people are going to have to speak to that. Yes. Including Jagmeet Singh and yeah. Justin Trudeau. And yes. Lena. It's profound. It is profound. And that's, and so, how does that work into how powerful is she, would you say? So I think she's profoundly powerful for the reason that uh, she can agenda set. Yes. And, and and so I think, you know, there's this myth in that there's no class in America, there's no class in Canada, that you can't do socialist politics or social democratic politics. That's not true. You need someone to come along who's competent, who will knock on doors and who can speak to people who will start talking about this. Stuff. Yeah. Because we've seen in the, in the matter of just really several months, a year, a year and a bit, we've gone from sort of talking about middle of the road, technocratic yeah. stuff yeah. to having to talk about yeah. big national politics. And you know what I love about the way she did it is that it was um, 
this is what the Leap Manifesto didn't have. Mm-hmm. And it was an attention to marginalized people. Right. So it goes back to your sort of Brie and Chablis um, commentary on progressive politics yeah. and how when you have that structure, when you have that sort of that income and wealth comfort mm-hmm. in that structure, you're not thinking about those, not only the working, but who makes up the working class and it's the working class is becoming more and more diverse. Yes. And so what I find with progressive politics too, is again, they leave us out. Yes. And so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about environmental racism, Mm -hmm. which we have talked about since almost the beginning of this pod Mm -hmm. in various ways, mentioned it stories, whatever. And have yet to hear peep about it elsewhere yeah. in Canada. And I'm just, I'm just wondering. Um, it's like, it's like somebody asked me recently, how do we push back? How do we push back politically in this country at um, the sausage factory at mm-hmm. the right wing? Um, you know takeover of all of that and my answer to this person was you gotta start from the ground up Mm -hmm. you gotta start from grassroots you're not going to be able to give one sort of wrecking ball um uh tactic and then that's going to be the end of it this is hard slow arduous work and again, if we go, the Brie and Chablis crowd are not going to do that work. And that, yeah. I think, is another problem. I agree. I could imagine a left-wing party that's today said, you know what, we've got a 10-year plan. We're gonna, and we're going to start today. We're going to knock on every door in the country. That's right. We're going to knock on it three times. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk to people what they care about. And we're going to come up with a program that is big politics and coherent that says we are going to have a just society for the 21st century. And that's going to include a Green New Deal. It's going to include pharmacare, childcare. It's going to include people paying their fair share of taxes. It's going to include a recognition that when the worst of climate change starts to hit, there's going to be significant equity issues around access to food Thank and water, you. the value of properties in certain places, which well, are now just, low, are going to start going up. Insurance rates, some folks are going to be Well, we just talked about insurance. Stuff. All of this stuff. All of this stuff. And that is my... Okay, so you Somebody just needs to think deep. Somebody needs to think past You the, just the abstract. hit my, my issue yeah. with the way the climate change discussion has gone on in this country. Yeah. It is... It is this big sort of, of, in a way, it's like a global view that is so distant mm-hmm. from the everyday yeah. that it's no wonder people are shutting off. No. And yeah. so, you know, when you talk to people about, you know, your insurance rates, you might not be able to get your, your house insured yeah. because of all of this climate change. Look at mm-hmm. the flooding that just happened, yeah. you know. These people might not be able to get their homes reinsured. So my parents live in Calgary. And after that flooding, it's a good thing they live on a hill. Yep. Because those houses in like Bonas, if you know Calgary, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Yep. I don't know if they're going to, they're definitely going to be reinsured at higher rates. Yes. Um, 
And, you know, what they're saying is that the water price has gone up significantly yes. since then. These are things that people can chew on, mm-hmm. can get on, can can grasp. And I don't think that we should be blaming people for not grasping this concept, yes. this nebulous concept of climate abstract. change, abstract, yep. abstract concept, because, because the people who are advocating for it the progressive policy nobody has 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 brought it down to the everyday person you know you know what would go a long way of doing that i was talking to someone about this recently who knows a a bunch of this um cities aren't required uh, i learned (laughs) this i had the most fascinating conversation with this woman i won't name her in case she doesn't want to be named but i I do want to cite my source in, in the abstract um cities aren't aren't required to provide their flood maps Imagine if every real estate purchase came with a climate change score of of your home is potentially going to be affected x out of a hundred by floods by <laughs> extreme weather events et cetera et cetera because mm-hmm. that is climate change right, so right. this house is x percent more likely to be flooded because of climate change, and then you could look and see, right, I have to worry about floods occurring, I have to worry about whether or not I can afford my insurance, I have to worry about whether or not my house will even be insured i have to worry about if this thing falls apart whether or not i'll be allowed to rebuild in the same location or insurance companies are going to say you know what no Mm -hmm. and then we start to look at how this you see how it cascades all of a sudden you know it used to be um there's there's research on this that i've just been looking at it used to be that the coastal properties were the valuable ones now developers are looking inland because they're worried about the effects of rising water so this is climate change. This is, along with the extreme weather events, along with the refugee crises, along with food shortages, along with water shortages, along with war, presumably, this is climate change. It, all the way down to the level of your basement flooding. And this is a conversation we need to be having. And I'm hoping that we're going to see a push from the left to have those conversations face-to-face across the country. Stay tuned for Rent and Receipts. <laughs> All right, we're back with rant and receipts, and David, you're up. The this week, we learned because of a Disney uh, heiress. I don't know if she's an heiress or just a descendant. A wealthy member of the Disney family has come out and said on Twitter, "I don't think that it's right for CEOs to make a thousand times what their employees make while those folks can't feed themselves, get insulin, et cetera, et cetera." You don't say. Now, all of a sudden, the sort of wealthy of Burbank and Malibu are a little bit ruffled. Uh, now that they've discovered that there might be some light injustice in someone making 1,000 times more the wage of somebody else. And look, that's fantastic that it's on the register for these people. But I just think that the credit that we, we ought to be giving to people um, who are wealthy, putting on the, re- the register of other wealthy people, is very, very, very small. So that drives me nuts. Because if you have to be in, you know, in your middle age told that it's wrong for someone to make a thousand times more someone else who can't afford to feed themselves or keep themselves alive with insulin, then I'm sorry, you, you deserve no credit for doing what is the basic human decent thing to do. Well, I just don't think in in an environment where I think there was a piece in McLean's. Uh, um, <laughs> it hits. No, 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 no. It was a good piece. No, no, no. This one was um, by Andre Dumise. I oh, believe yeah. he wrote about about 
the coldness of politics mm-hmm. and how oh, yes, the yes, cruelty, yes, yes. the cruelty of yeah. politics yeah. and how cruelty is in. And basically, I mean, these people are just used to not caring about anybody but themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to that tale you were talking about. I So off air, um, David and I were talking about what did you call it? The tale of influence or the tale of power? I'm saying people who have power have a tale that they sometimes forget that they have. Yeah. And can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So imagine, you know, a dinosaur has a big tail. They wag behind them or they drag behind them. And, and it's easy to forget that you have it. But that tail is big and powerful and affects the world. It can yeah. bump into things. It can knock things over. It uh, takes up space. It takes up lots of space. It might yeah. keep you um, upright, but it also has an effect on the rest of the world. And I think, you know, part of the growing consciousness of, of people who are decent and just is the recognition that they have a tail that mm-hmm. swings behind them and they, they ought to be very, very careful about um, about what that does to the world. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, but this came from one of them, one of yes. their own. Yes. And probably if you're in Malibu or Silicon Valley, you're also new money. Yes. So you kind of look up to old money yes. and she's old money. Yes. Well... Is she three generations? By now, yeah. I mean, By now? Walt Disney... Disney... Four, 30s, 40s? Yeah, okay. Let's just call her old yeah, money. Yeah, by now, I think she's Yeah, old. yeah. Although she claims she doesn't have, quote-unquote, very many... No, she says, quote-unquote, she has not that many shares in Disney. So I don't know what she's actually worth. Yeah, but not that many shares in Disney. Like, yeah. it depends on what your marker is, Yeah, right? she doesn't specify how many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is 100,000 not that many? Like, yeah, exactly. Or 1,000? Like, the yeah. point is, is that um, you come from a family dynasty. You were born into this world having a tail. Yeah. You didn't have to grow one. Yes. And so I think that because it came from her and um, not the kind of, like, old old money not the robber baron old money yeah. but the oh well disney pixar we still do that over here mm-hmm. you know what and, and kind of techie too i feel like that's the only reason it was very specific the per- the people that they listened to yes well but this is also a very very old idea because this is effectively the, the idea of noblesse oblige that yeah. goes back to the sort of um, you know, a very old money uh, and this belief on the right largely that because you were endowed with certain things among other than wealth and talent quote unquote you know uh, as part of the aristocracy you owed something back to everyone else that for whatever reason that that noblesse oblige um, which is patronizing and irritating for all kinds of ways and would be better replaced with the structural distribution of power. But it, yeah. nonetheless, it disappeared. And this was a moment of noblesse oblige. So on the one hand, it's fantastic. Good. Put it on the register. On the other hand, I don't want a society run by this idea that aristocrats ought to every so often deign to be f- somewhat decent to everyone else who ha- don't have the same structural um, privileges they do. So anyways. And it goes, and it, and it goes far beyond money. This is the other thing yeah. is that is that at the end, even with noblesse oblige, um, which uh, do you follow Noah Smith? No opinion on Twitter. I, uh, the Economist. I, can't if I do anymore, but I know his work. Yeah, he um, he talked about it in his Bloomberg column recently, and um, I'm not sure what he said because I didn't read said column yet. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, he was talking about it on Twitter. 
which is where I got that. Yeah. But um, this idea of um, of of that kind of, I mean, it was good in a way because it meant that you were part of a greater community. Yes. However, it's not just about the money. No. It's the fact that even with that, you didn't want people of a different class in your clubs. Yeah. It's you power. still, yeah, you it's still didn't want black people on your golf courses. You still, 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 still. And you were, the, the whole idea was to give back, sure, but to give back so that, so that people, there wouldn't be like barbarians at the gates, right. like, you know, yeah. basically, and then you wouldn't have to, you know, hire private security forces right. like in Brazil. Yeah. So, um, all I'm saying is that it's still self-serving. Absolutely. Um, but it just goes to show. So we go back. So when we were talking about Alexandria Caso Cortez and in the last segment and all of that, the I and this is really down to Bernie, where he get you know I think he deserves a lot of credit. You won't hear me that hear me saying that a lot. Um, is that he brought to the forefront the idea of taxing. Mm-hmm. The wealthy and having the wealthy contribute more. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was before him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Warren had been beating that drum since she got elected, basically, mm-hmm. into the Senate yeah. in Obama's wave. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like the I, the the point is, is that the structural income and wealth d- uh, inequality mm-hmm is keeping people from fully expressing and fully being involved in um in sort of like the citizenry yeah. in a way. Well, and the and the liquidity of capital. I mean, the, the part of the problem is that you know, if you say well, we want to tax people reasonably with a carbon tax, with a corporate tax, with an upper income tax, whatever it might be, the answer is well, they'll just go somewhere else. I mean, the, I mean, this is an old critique of globalization, but it's a good one. The problem is capital liquidity. Is mm-hmm. that it's just easy for money to, to flee. And years ago, there was an idea of a Tobin tax, which would have been a, a small tax on these transactions, which would have, I mean, among other things, uh, or some variety of a Tobin tax that would tax capital flight. Mm-hmm. And that which would help disincentivize people saying, well, I'm paying, you know, X percent here. I'm going to go to this low tax haven. Mm -hmm. So this is a classic divide and conquer that's been scaled up to the global level is that, you know, until everybody does it, it's hard for anybody to do it because they worry that money chases. And so instead of reasonable taxes, which is how we should get the the effects of noblesse oblige, we Mm -hmm. get rich people saying, well, we'll fund your project here. We'll fund your project. Yeah. Just don't take it from us in the form of taxes yeah which are, which, which, which is even rational right which they which they get ta- like tax preferential tax treatment for anyway oh well don't even get me started one of the ideas of, of and just to be fair to jagmeet singh uh, this is one of the things he's announced is sort of uh, trying to uh, increase ta- capital gains um, inclusion so that the, we'll get a little bit more of that. I think it's that's a good idea. I think it's fairly small potatoes, but the, we do need a pushback uh, when it comes to passive income versus active income. The idea that we give people a break for doing nothing while people are out there busting their ass at yeah. jobs to try to make 15 bucks an hour yeah. is absolutely undefensible or indefensible and bonkers. So um, 
you know, if the yeah, left is it, listening. It and it, it it flies in the face of this. There's this idea that people are rich because they worked hard. Yeah. Which is, you yeah. know, also self-serving for people who are rich. Yeah. But it really isn't that. Yeah. And the market values them. Yes. Right? This is why a CEO makes a thousand times more. Yes. Well, then your market is broken. Well, you know what? That's what The Economist had been peddling for fucking a decade. Yeah. And I was just like unsubscribe well i mean if you're here's the thing if you're gifted shares or, or or you know this happens all the time wealth is transferred through the transfer of assets including shares right shares are, are taxed differently as passive income um that wealth accumulates i mean th- that's the simple simplification of things but that happens all the time uh, and that is regarded as what productive as yeah. decent as good yeah i mean come on yeah this is like this is why apple i think is actually one of the most evil companies is that you know they are tax avoiders i mean amazon is like this too yeah. but apple is very very good at tax avoidance mm-hmm. right and this is an example of that is that we have companies that have gotten really really good at avoiding taxes we've got individuals who are wealthy and can afford accountants and others who help them avoid taxes and instead again we get noblesse oblige when we what we should be getting is rigorous taxation well yeah and i i feel as though like the the wealthy funding public projects is a problem yes it's a problem it's also arbitrary and irrational yeah yeah, like fundraisers for diseases. I mean, I don't want to get too far off track here, but it's always bothered me that one of the ways that we raise money for for all kinds of things is who can get the most attention. Mm-hmm. And I think, look, I mean, that is ultimately creates a, a sort of incentive to trivialize things and to compete with one another for scarce resources when people are dying. I mean, it, how unbelievably fucked up is it that we've created a sort of thunderdome for charities to battle each other for for a few bucks here and there while people are dying, where what we could be doing is taxing people reasonably and funding those things. The fact that in this century that's what we're doing is utterly... Uh, I, I just... Uh, there are we're days regressing. where I can't possibly imagine what, why that's, that's something that we do. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, climate change will take care of that. <laughs> the big old reset button, unless we got our shit together. Right? Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, that's going to be painful as fuck. Yes. So my rant and receipts, it has to do with um, the skeleton that is Tony Blair. Um, who, how he avoided war crimes is beyond me, but whatever. According to Tony Blair... Migrant communities aren't doing enough to integrate and um, they must be compelled to do more to integrate to help combat the rise of far right bigotry. Okay, so according to Tony Blair, the way to, oh yes, the way to combat far right bigotry is to engage in their talking points and to do exactly what they say the problem is. Okay, so, so, he said that, oh yeah, it gets better. Wait for it, it gets better. Yes. Um, He said that, successive governments have failed to find the right balance between diversity and integration. I didn't know that those were opposing points to find balance with. I thought they worked together. So there's one critique. Um, While the concept of multiculturalism has been used, misused as a way to justify a refusal to integrate. He made this actually public through report by his 
Institute for Global Change. Isn't that, (laughs) that's not aptly named, I will say this, uh, which backs forcing schools to have an intake that reflects local diversity, creating a compulsory citizenship program for teenagers and toughening enforcement against perpetrators of hate speech. So there's, that's a mixed bag right there. Um, he also, it also calls for compulsory citizenship education, a ban on segregated shift patterns. I don't know how that's going to look. And the creation of a new cabinet post created to oversee integration. So according to Blair, <clears throat> Over a significant period of time, including when we were last in government, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, (laughs) politics has failed to find the right balance between diversity and integration. Blair wrote in the foreword to the report, on the one hand, failures around integration have led to attacks on diversity and partly responsible for reaction against migration. On the other hand, the multiculturalism has the word multiculturalism has been misrepresented as a meaning as meaning a justified refusal to integrate, particularly now when there's an increasing evidence of far right bigotry on the rise. Where the fuck has he been? OK, but that's not all. <clears throat> oh, no, no, no. The report backs a new form of digital identity verification. Papers, please. A return to Blair's support for ID cards that caused huge divisions when the idea was pushed by his government and later abandoned. It also backs the idea of increased funding for language tuition and handing asylum seekers earlier access to work. And so this follows from an increase in religious and racially motivated hate crimes, which increased from 37,417 in 1314 to 79,587 in 1718. So Blair is part of the problem about this global, this rise of quote unquote, um, a reaction to globalization, which was really left wing for a while Mm -hmm. in the 90s. So I don't know how it got co-opted by the right. Um, And Blair is part of the problem because he took his country into a fake war. And I'm pretty sure that 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 plus austerity had something to do with the rise of populism. Maybe it's just me. Mm -hmm. But Blair did to labor what Clinton did to the Democrats. He took Mm -hmm. them right. He has been instrumental in dismantling the welfare state, too. Mm -hmm. And that... Yet he doesn't quote that. He doesn't quote the economics, I notice. All of the blame is on the migrants themselves. And my thing is, as usual, these centrists track right because that's where the populate, like that's where's popular. Mm-hmm. And which means that they track the center right. I mean, they not to the center right, they make the center more right. Yeah which makes the left more radical. I'm still trying to process. I'm trying to process myself. I I just, I think austerity is, is the, is the heart of the matter. Uh, You know, it, it, one of the other critiques of labor is that, and this is true of, 
of politics in Canada and in the Clinton years, it was it was highly technocratic, that it depoliticized politics, right? Yeah. And, and that Thank was part you. of the problem, too. Because all of a sudden, well, no, no, it's not about class. It's about evidence-based, et cetera, et cetera. So like, no, it's, it's about finding ways to redistribute wealth and 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 power so that communities can support themselves Mm -hmm. and and i think you know there's plenty of examples of when austerity in the long run invites a backlash that empowers racists. i have a paper upstairs that i found while while decluttering marie condoing my place and uh it's it, it it it's a it's a policy paper about austerity and about the pitfalls of austerity. So austerity costs too much, right? Yes. This is the problem is that people think that this is the great solution, but the, the costs of it are, are huge. And this is when I look at, at the Ford government in Ontario, yeah. this is one of the ex- is examples is, is, you know, you're not just cutting programs, you're, you're cutting capacity and you're going to, you're going to lose a generation. And the risk is that you lose a generation of capacity and that's hard to get back. And it pisses people off. And there's all of these knock on problems. Often I think when the moments where you think austerity is the answer, that's actually when you should be investing very, very carefully right. while raising revenue. Now there's always some, there's some things that need to be cut. I, I'm, you know, I believe that we ought to be responsible with budgets. But the point is that you've got to find ways to build capacity rather than cuts because otherwise you're cutting libraries, you're cutting funding to migrants, you're cutting funding to, you know, this, what it does is it, it, it takes the knees out of the class that you need to support the broader economy, right? Right. And that this is why when you see a sort of tr- d- decline of the middle class, you have yeah. to get really worried. Right. Because this is part of it. This is part because of it. part of the middle class is the ascension to the middle class. Yes. And the fact that those numbers are dropping off is not because people are getting richer. No. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's because people are falling down a rabbit hole, an economic rabbit hole that they can't get out of. And so this idea that, um, I don't know how, how, you know, people are like, Oh, but Ontario is bankrupt. It's not fucking bankrupt. I mean, it's, it's, can it's very very hard for a polity to go bankrupt the, i guess the worry is that um you know you you have to start talking about structural adjustment programs or something but no i mean on you know i could have imagined so vic vic fidelli in ontario said everyone's going to have to you know pay their fair share as we get things together if i believed that was true i'd be more inclined to support him mm-hmm. but it's not is that those with already who have very very little are asking to be or asking or being asked to contribute disproportionately more mm-hmm. to the fix than those who have who have plenty and that's the problem is that well what we ought to be doing is making sure that those at the top who have benefited, by the way, from a lot of this spending, um, are asked to pay their fair share, mm-hmm. um, commensurate with their social position, mm-hmm. and that we build capacity so that the next generation has a shot at power, also grows a tax base, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. The fact that we're targeting education and libraries and public health lead me to believe that this, well, this isn't really being born equally, is it? And that was a lot like the United Kingdom under mm-hmm. the third way under Blair. Yeah. And and I think that um, it's when the left became nervous about uh, its capacity to articulate a left politics, it retreated into technocracy and moved to the right. And but at least now we're seeing the pushback to come back to this is what the AOC pushback. Well, is yeah, and it's it's an, it's it's the new generation that is pushing back. Well, when I say the new generation, like like she's a millennial, right? But yeah. she's on the tail end yeah. of the millennials. Yeah. So 
you know, we like <laughs> the fact that Gen Z is like 20 and 21. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, like, we started. But I mean, but you're seeing that what's interesting is, is, you know, in the United States, there is it's possible that the next generation will have less wealth than the previous. Right. And oh, it's is, more. Is, it's it's it, it's it pretty much. Yeah. It, uh, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. So like people it's, were promised yeah. things, right? And now yeah. they're not getting it and yeah. they're going to get pissed at that. Yeah. Right. They were, you know, they were, and I think here's the thing. I have a little pet theory that the, the boomer generation was perhaps the luckiest generation in human history. In you America. don't have a theory. I am convinced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That they won the lottery. They won the lottery and then fucked it up for everybody for else. All of humankind. I'm talking, it, was there a more privileged generation in all of human history than the boomer generation? No. I don't think so. No. Because uh, check it. Like all of the social programs that came in with Roosevelt. Yeah. With, is it Teddy or? Franklin. That would have been FDR, but I mean, oh, we right, FDR, FDR. But, yeah. It's it's because the um, the generation before the Boomers, wh- what were they called, the Great Generation or something like that? I don't remember what the pre- um. Anyway, they bore a lot of the that was from the um the Great Depression, right. and they 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 bore all of that. Yes. So. It was sort of like a give back to them too, right. and that's understandable, right. right? So they reaped the rewards of a lot of these programs, but right. they also they also paid the dues. They suffered right. the cost of wealth inequality, right? Yeah, right. The so let's, barons, the let's gilded age. yeah, the gilded yeah. age. Let's not pretend that the gilded age did not, you know usher in the great depression of yeah. course it did a society cannot continue to function with great wealth and income disparities yeah. the great depression the french revolution you name it the biggest the biggest wars are based on that and hegemony but anyway carry like that's another story anyway the baby boomers came after paid none of the dues and reaped all the rewards and then voted to take that away from every succeeding generation. And then they have the temerity to talk about, well, I want to leave this for my kids. I need to balance. We need to balance the budget so I can leave something for my fuck you. You're so full of shit. I mean, how, what are you leaving for your kids? I don't want to leave this debt for my kids. Okay. So that's not how it works. (laughs) Well, also climate change, but I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, we're all complicit in that. But yeah. when, you know, I'm I'm looking at some pretty frightening numbers, including the number of of workers per retiree, which is about to, to uh, that ratio is about to shrink, which worries me quite a bit. Um, you know, and and we are look, we should be a caring society, and we're going to be expected to care for the boomers when they retire. I would very much like to be able to care for these folks, mm-hmm. but boy, we're going to need some changes real fast. If we're going to make that work. Oh, we're not going to make that work. All right. Well. Oh, that's going to suck. <laughs> that's going to suck. No, seriously though, yeah. because you've just you've just talked about the numbers. Yeah. You know, on the on on one hand, you have you have um a, a shrinking working capacity. Yeah. Workforce capacity. It's shrinking. You want to cut off immigration? Okay. Um so where are all these workers coming from? Uh, this is the point I wish every Canadian American didn't I just make of. a progress? Didn't I just explain that very simply? Yes, and I and I wish you I, I wish you could 
every Canadian and American and and uh, mem- uh, citizen of the United Kingdom subject of the United Kingdom is it something? yeah well could yeah. hear it. Um, you know, I, I think immigration is a there's a moral imperative, but there's also a self-interested economic imperative, especially in a country where the the birth rate is below the rate of replacement. And nobody's talking about that. And no one's talking about. It. We are lucky that we have immigrants coming to this country. We are, first of all, which comes at a great cost to the countries they're leaving, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Which yes, is another, because there's a structural oppression yeah, across yeah, the globe. Yeah, but yeah. also, we are lucky to have them. And if we didn't have them, we'd be in big trouble. Yeah. And and so, I, I the you brain know, drain. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the capacity they bring with them is, is often phenomenal. And we're lucky to have it. And this country, sh- we should be so lucky as to have these people here. Um, it's not just the right thing to do, it's necessary for the country. And I'm hoping that the the left can start to articulate that message more. I just did. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you, like, you, maybe you're going to run? No. All right, well. Are you kidding? Yeah, I know. I just, like, are you, no. All right, no, <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I don't like, blame you. I don't want like, to do Like, look at the shit that's out there. I know. Like, I, and, and seriously, like, at this point, I'm just like, <laughs> no thanks. All right, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> I, don't, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, and my Twitter would never... You'd never recover. No. 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 My Twitter and Facebook, listen, I would never make it past the riding association. <laughs> I know this. And people are like, oh, but, you know, you and, you know, bad and bitch, you're everything. You're what do we need. Yeah, but we come with we come with spots. Yes. Right. We're not the perfect candidates. We're racialized yeah. and we're not even close to being the perfect, you know, walk the line candidates. Good fucking luck with that. Yeah. It's going to be more trouble than it's worth. And then I have some white guy telling me what's what yeah. and a whole and a whole parade of men telling me to change <laughs> to Do change think, a position when I, I don't think it's necessary. I know Aaron's really hungry over here and getting eyes, but I, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that the next generation is going to be evaluated differently, politically speaking, when we sort of normalize social media? That everyone's history is mm-hmm. like, oh, that's just who we are. Yeah. We're used to it now. And I do you know. think so it's going to become a lot more like that and it has to be or else we got nothing right because who's gonna who who will be the next crop of candidates those who have no history yeah like everyone has a social media history not only that shouldn't you be good at social media too yes i think so so and social media is very much a practitioner's game yeah you can't just study it and then you know it you have to work that shit yeah every day yeah it's retail it is it's retail work Ooh. yeah it's it is retail politics yeah but also like i just th- i'm because my my sense is i agree i mean like i think we're gonna just adjust our expectations yeah, yeah. i hope so because if not we're gonna get a bunch of brushed aluminum assholes who just have nothing to, but it'll be a bunch of beta overworks which is the last thing we need right now oh good lord yes i know all right so that does it for this week's bad and bitchy um i want to thank our guest david mosscroft who sat in with us very patiently today and didn't even bitch about the time. No, of course not. You, you are invited back, white I man. Would, I would love <laughs> to. I, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, hmm. yeah. No, no, no. I, I had, I, you know, you and I need to sit down and have like an intellectual discussion. Yeah. Okay, because this was totally enjoyable and um, where can they find you? Where can people find you? Plug your book too. Well, so uh, you can find me on the Twitter box at David underscore Mossgrove um, or Mossgrove if you prefer. <laughs> and uh, the book is Too Dumb for Democracy, Why We Make Bad Political Decisions and How We Can Make Better Ones. And it is available 
everywhere that books are sold. So, in other words, you better fire up that Amazon Prime, everybody. Um, I also want to make another announcement. Um, so, there is an Ottawa scrim, an Ottawa film screening of the movie Hero. Uh, this is um, the reason I am actually talking about this movie is because it is a predominantly black movie. And it is presented by Black Ottawa 411. It will be screening at uh, on Thursday, April 25th. So that's this Thursday at 7 p.m. at um, Imagine Cinema in St. Lawrence Boulevard. That's 1200 St. Laurent Boulevard. Um, and it's co-presented by various community organizations and the director, Francis Ann Solomon, and actor Peter Williams will be present for the uh, audience talk back. Uh, the tickets are on a br- uh, Eventbrite. Um, you can find it on Facebook. And yeah, so other than that, f- find us, Bad and Bitchy, on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, IG, Instagram. <laughs> like I don't know what IG is. Okay. Insta fucking gram at bad and bitchy pod. Facebook forward slash bad and B podcast and email us. Yes, you could tell me how I fucked up this outro. <laughs> bad and B pod at gmail.com. We have merch at Redbubble. Redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash bad and bitchy. And I did that without my paper. Yes. All right, everybody. Are you ready, David? Because you got to say bye with me. Okay. One, two, three. Bye. So that was, and that was a process of a, of awakening, due in part to how I grew up, single mom, poor, whatever, mm-hmm. and but also into, but being a dickhead, still, and then challenge, you know, and channeling that throughout the years by having good uh, mentors. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've been thinking, like, just reflecting a lot lately, and i'm reflecting on where i thought i would be in life and how that where i am Mm -hmm. and how those those two things kind of connect right and the the idea i had when i was let's say coming to ottawa was that i was going to be in the public service i was going to work my way up and you know whatever and it didn't happen and so then my whole sort of idea of my potential mm-hmm. and like just wasn't like it just got eroded by mm-hmm. by basically the system right and so th- now that I, this is why i'm really fascinated between the difference between power and empowerment mm-hmm. so if we go back to the to the game of thrones <laughs> idea and what I explained to you, Danny and Cersei are all about power. Arya and Sansa were all about empowerment. Mm-hmm. And if you think, look at the, the two sets of dialogues, 
you can see that difference. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting to me is that when I look back, I was like, I just wanted to be seen and heard. That's where it came from. I just wanted to be recognized and valued. And I thought that that was the way to do it. Mm -hmm. But I got that anyway without it being a part of that. So I'm really, I'm really, see, hence like this whole cleaning thing. Like I'm really like shifting here, you know? I like that. Yeah. I I think of it as, you know, authority doesn't require power. Power doesn't require authority. But the best sort of setup is, is, you know, not needing power and relying on authority. I mean, authority speaks for itself, whereas power is coercive. And some authority is backed by coercive power. Mm -hmm. States, for instance, are good examples of that. But I think you also have individuals who, in fact, you might say, well, that person doesn't really have any power in the sense that I can see. But for some reason, they have authority. But doesn't authority with it bring a certain level of power? Implicit power, maybe? Yeah, like implicitly. Not, Not necessarily you know, explicitly in terms of the state, for example. Yeah. That's more implicit and explicit power. But, like, doesn't authority with it, like, the fact that you are, have, because to me authority is is a bit, it's not leadership, mm-hmm. but it's, there's an intersection there. So, I mean, I see authority as the capacity to shape the world on your behalf, but but for others as well. Yeah, but right? but don't you require at least influence to do that? Well, so influence, yes. But the power okay. thing I see as as someone looking at you, so it's an external thing, and saying, "Well, I had better respond or follow or okay, give, or else that person okay. can do something to me or my world that's going to be a problem." Okay. And so that's the way I, I separate those things. Okay. And so for me, is I don't think I have any. I have a certain position now in my life. <laughs> That allows me to affect things around me. And I think there is implicit power in that, as well as some authority because of who I work for and who I write for and my education. People sort of defer to that, which is why, and I guess we'll talk about this later, implicit bias is a thing that I wish people would be aware of, including a lot of parliamentarians, because you know authority and power carry with it and are supported by Implicit bias, which creates these structures of power that reproduce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can be I broken. now want to read your book. Well, it's not bad. <laughs> We're doing one at a time. You'd be surprised how many uh, people are like, uh, yeah, you wrote a book. And I'm like, yeah, I wrote a book. Yeah, I haven't read that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, that's, I don't, that's fine. There's a lot of books. You know, I'm like, I don't, I haven't read yours. Including, 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 ho- including hosts, including hosts. I'll, I'll go do shows and sometimes hosts will say, yeah, I didn't have a time to read it. And I don't take a person. I was like, yeah, people are busy. I don't care. I mean, I, I'm, I love people to read it and, and to buy it. But I'm like, I don't know. People have lives. They got to do stuff. No, I'm really right? interested. Like, I'm really interested in, in, in how you see that kind of structural authority and how that plays into politics and the choices we make in politics. I'm assuming this is in your book. A little, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> it, it is. I'm now I, remaking this book. I mean, I'm like, it, I maybe will do that's your the second cover. edition. Maybe that's the second edition because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't talk about power a ton in it explicitly because I it was a rabbit should. hole. I think I talk about it in terms of institutions, right, right, right. And and so I do talk about it in that sense, and I talk about it in the sense of biases so it comes up a ton i just don't get into the sort of foucauldian conceptions well i just don't think that people think about power relationships in terms like 
like they don't recognize that those carry with them an implicit weight. Yeah. And I find uh, so last week we had we had Nora on Nora mm-hmm. Loretto and we were talking about community mm-hmm. and the idea of relationships and being relationship based mm-hmm. and especially in communities of color that and and the gay community I've been thinking about this a lot too the gay community and how powerful it was well it became powerful because they had to form community because they were dying right and so if they didn't they would die alone right. and it, you know and for some it was better to to die alone but for others but there was also this political layer a huge political layer where you know, you had the CDC and Reagan. How the fuck did Reagan get away with this? By the way, when it comes to like reminiscing about Reagan, the whole fact that he basically killed um, a generation of gay people yeah. doesn't come up. Wouldn't say wouldn't say the word HIV AIDS, right? He, he wouldn't say it. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah. Forget about doing something bad. He wouldn't say it. Like, how the fuck did he get away with that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the same way that Kissinger got away with bombing Cambodia. Fair. Fair. <laughs> right? I yeah. Mean, like, or, you know. The war criminal Kissinger. Yeah. Right? I mean, you, you get away with it because you're in power and the people around you are part of that structure and no one says anything. And then we get reminiscent. But then Reagan has become the potty trained conservative because it, conservatism in America has regressed so far mm-hmm. that Reagan by, and I think this is actually true. By comparison, looks pretty tame. Yeah. Which yeah. is fucked up. Yeah, that is fucked up. That okay. is. So, um, Did you record that? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Multi-purpose she, use. She, she records in stealth mode, okay? Like, <laughs> when I, we talk. I move through the world under the assumption that I'm being recorded all the time because <laughs> I have a cell phone. That <laughs> I, I'm that paranoid person that has... Um, um, like stickers over my yes webcam yes like uh, <clears throat> not because I do anything but most things like I just don't trust Zuckerberg has a sticker over his yeah. I'm like if Zuckerberg he knows Absolutely. he knows Absolutely. that little twerp is well aware of what people like him are doing to us what a dick I know <laughs> I'm not a fan Did you send me that link? oh right um, okay Oh, this was just a tweet he said about the other day about um, the cult of diversity. If women are qualified, minorities are qualified, they don't need programs. And if they need programs, they're not qualified. And that old canard drives me bonkers. That's good because my thing is um, Tony Blair. Okay. I can I can I can get with some Maxine Bernie. Tony <laughs> like, there's another guy who's getting rehabilitated though, right? <laughs> Complete sellout of the labor movement for a decade. Oh my War God! Rack. Thank you. Somebody War. said it. I, my favorite on Tony Blair. He is Savage the Clinton. Too. He is the one who took labor right, yeah. and they are the ones that created this fucking mess. Because economically speaking, this this okay. So Clinton and his repeal of Glass Steagall, mm-hmm. like I that is a man. Okay. That fucked over a generation. Like that one repeal yeah. fucked over more a gen- generation. More than a generation. And and he's another one who skates by on it. Yeah. 
and that drives me nuts. Do you remember he was called the first black president? Oh, Do you ever come across this? And then he went. It on was to, Arsenio, wasn't it? He, it was something like that. But then he went on to imprison black Americans as much as, if not more, than presidents before. I mean, my friend Chuka. Um, do you know Chuka Jekum? If you ever come across this guy, he's he's a friend of mine and he's fantastic. He's now the policy director at the BC Fed. But what's his name? Uh, Chuka Jekum. And um, Chuka. He is a good old socialist lad. Uh, but a wrecking ball when it comes to talking about American politics and Clinton is fantastic. Really? Yeah, he's he's good people. I like it. He's uh, how do you spell that? C H U K A first name, and then Jekum is E J E C K A M. Got it. Oh, you're good. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh. Um, but he's fantastic. Follow. Yeah, he's great. So that does it for this week's Bad and Bitchy. Thank you to our special... Ha- oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just, sorry, David. <laughs> what it, is it? It's, sorry, it's moss. Is it crop? Gro- I think crop of moss. I was going to say Moss Grove for some reason. Well, that's actually very nice. Actually, I like that. Right? I just I just rebranded you. Okay. Sorry. Moss Crop. Moss Crop. Moss Crop. Okay. Um, <laughs> don't do that, Eric. So that does it for this week's Bad and Bitchy. I want to thank David Musgrove. Thank it's, you. It's Musgrove. No. Oh, shit. No, I'm just oh. kidding. <laughs> Stop fucking with me. <laughs> You That's like Musgrove, don't you? I li- yeah, I like groves. Groves are nice. Yes. It's also moss, like with an O. Oh. Think of like moss, moss grove. Moss yeah. On a tree, crop as a moss crop. crop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shit. Okay. <laughs> this is this is gonna take. Take. Take three. I, I know. This is why I don't host usually. <laughs>